0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution, and UHMS-accredited hyperbaric medicine practice, with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com, Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. Very pleased to be joined today by Dr. Mark Beatty of Beatty Facial Plastic Surgery. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you, C.W. Glad to be here.
0: We were uh, pleased to be referred to you by uh, one of our former guests on uh, our Midtown Business Radio show, and so uh, we're happy to have you here with us today to talk about the services that you provide for folks who are looking mostly for aesthetic procedures that can help them uh, beautify their face,
1: yeah, it's, it's primarily an aesthetic practice. As we'll uh, discover in talking about this a little bit, there are some functional aspects to many of the uh, aesthetic procedures that we do, but the focus is on providing that uh, individualized aesthetic and cosmetic pr- improvement options uh, for our patients.
0: Is there a particular group of people that tend to, you know, look for your services? I mean, in terms of age range, men, women, is it pretty evenly divided? Who Who tends to... You know, want your services or need your services?
1: Yeah, well, that, that's a really great question, and actually, that's something that's been changing somewhat in the industry recently. Um, our uh, our patient population is overwhelmingly female, and that remains the case. But the number of men that have begun uh, seeking cosmetic facial services has definitely gone up over the last uh, five to seven years, and probably comprises twenty five percent or so of our patient base. Um, As far as age range, uh, when we take all of the things that we do into consideration, so including rhinoplasty as well as aging face work, you look at people anywhere from their 20s on up into their 60s and 70s. -hmm.
0: You know, as we were sitting here uh, talking a little bit before the show started today, we were talking about the fact that, you know, in my own assumption, uh, it was errant that that, uh, folks would seek you out, you know, just for purely the aesthetic reasons that they would want to come to uh, someone that has your expertise. But you talked about the fact that there are some functional surgeries that you do that uh, another physician might refer a patient to you. For, for some care. T- talk a little bit about those types of things that somebody might get referred to you by another physician for.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I think probably the um, <clears throat> most uh, most frequent example that we run into is with nasal surgery. Um, we do uh, quite, a, quite a lot of cosmetic nasal surgery. It's a common operation, but in many of these patients, you also find that they have some significant functional nasal problems as well. They may have breathing difficulties from a internal nasal obstruction. They may have breathing uh, difficulties that are related to the external structure of their nose. And all of that is incredibly important to take into account when you're designing a cosmetic procedure for a uh, person who has functional problems as well.
0: I noticed as I was preparing for the show that you actually won an award doing some research on Surgery of the nose, right, and yeah. how it affects their, You know the different types of surgeries that you might do, whether they're aesthetic or structural, like you talked about. The different approaches that you can use to achieve your outcomes without really disrupting how things work. I suppose.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, that was uh, uh, some years ago, but as part of my uh, fellowship project, I actually developed a device that enabled us to uh, intraoperatively and postoperatively develop uh, or or measure the uh, degree of support that the nasal tip architecture provided. So one of the things that uh, we sometimes see after cosmetic procedures is people who have problems with collapse of that nasal tip support. Mm. Um, This clearly can have a deleterious effect on the cosmetic outcome of the procedure and also the functional outcome. So, uh, yeah, it was some interesting work that we were able to do and uh, to be able to to clearly demonstrate in an objective manner what some of the common techniques that we use in the nasal tip uh, resulted in from a uh, architectural standpoint.
0: My wife was a patient that was one of those that you kind of described in terms of having a need for surgeons um, with your background. She was a diver when she was in high school and Smashed her nose two or three times at least, uh, sure. pretty severely. I guess she had quite a snose back in the old days, uh, you know, from her diving injuries, and ends up uh, getting nasal surgery. And uh, as a young woman, and uh, now you know, it's, it's a great nose. So it's uh, it's interesting that uh, you know I, I wouldn't really necessarily think about that, but I mean trauma, I'm sure, is one of those types of things that you end up seeing sometimes to uh, to correct for you know folks like that. Whether they oh, absolutely, know, athletics ha- or other.
1: Yeah, I do have a fair number of athletes in the practice. That's a uh, uh, a common reason for people to uh, seek out nasal surgery from, uh, from previous injuries. And uh, one of the, probably the most common reason that men seek out nasal Mm -hmm. surgery is the result of some prior injury.
0: Yeah, I could probably use some myself. I've (laughs) had a couple of accidents myself where my nose was broken. But (laughs) talking about your aesthetic procedures that you offer, I was kind of surprised actually when I started looking at the website, which is a really nice website, it looks great. There's a lot of excellent information there for folks who are listening to the show today. They can get some frequently answered or asked questions answered. Um, But then you talked a lot on the website about the variety of services and and procedures that you offer. And I was kind of surprised to find that there is a a good deal of non-surgical options nowadays that you have, in addition to, obviously, some of the more traditional, I guess, uh, facial uh, procedures that you can do surgically. But I was surprised to find the number of non-surgical aesthetic procedures that you can do to achieve much of the same type of outcome.
1: Yeah, it it has been interesting over the last several years. And I think this is driven uh, from two uh, primary sources. One is patient demand for procedures that require less downtime and uh, with which they can get back into their regular routine, regular lives more uh, more quickly. The second is that technology just keeps getting better and there are uh, some options out there now that can make a effective uh, difference on facial aesthetics that simply didn't exist as recently as even two or three years ago. So while I would say that there is nothing out there non-surgical, that approaches the degree of improvement that we can achieve surgically. That is, uh, at least at this point, remains unrealistic. But there are some very effective treatments out there that we've had great success with, and uh, patients have have loved it, particularly in that category where they uh, wanted to have a uh, less invasive lower downtime uh, approach for whatever reason.
0: When I was linking up with you on uh, your Facebook page, I noticed an entry there that talked about ProLift. What mm-hmm. what is that type of procedure? And it was it mentioned that you developed this procedure, or at least had a hand yeah, in that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. ProLift is a uh, technique that I have worked on developing over uh, the last six to seven years of my practice, and uh, this is an approach to facelifting uh, that tries to achieve the goal of enabling maximal correction for my patients aesthetically with minimal invasiveness and doing it in a manner that is controlled and objective. So what ProLift does, and uh, the acronym is for progressive limited incision facelift technique, um, we use a a preoperative evaluation that's very similar to what we've always done as facelift evaluation. But the twist that i have added is that intraoperatively we start out with a limited set of incisions exposing the supportive structures of the face which i can then analyze intraoperatively and directly Um, with my surgical instrumentation, it gives me a better sense of exactly what kind of correction that particular individual needs, and then we can modify and extend uh, incisions and approaches as necessary rather than just straight out of the box.
0: When you're going for a surgical procedure like what you're talking about here Mm -hmm. with the ProLift technique, what is my typical recovery time? What's my experience like in terms of uh, you know, do I do the surgery? I obviously, in you know, like in a surgery center, or where do I go for my surgery, and then kind of what happens with me after?
1: Sure. So uh, these procedures are all done uh, in the surgery center. The majority of them, if we were doing something of the extent of ProLift, uh, most patients will go to sleep for that. Um, I do some patients under more limited anesthetic, and there are a, a variety of, uh, <coughs> of criteria that we use to, to make that uh, selection. But uh, these, are, uh, these are outpatient procedures, so uh, my patients are able to go home the same day. I like to see folks back the day after surgery to discuss how they're feeling, answer any questions. And, and typically at that point, I don't need to see people again for about a week. Um, so that's the initial experience. Uh, frankly, most people feel pretty reasonable within uh, a week to 10 days. Uh, sutures come out at a week to 10 days. So the uh, downtime is uh, is a bit less than you might think.
0: Now, when you're going for this type of procedure, do you need to kind of plan for, say, a business week off out of work? When do, when do I get to go back to work?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I speak with each patient uh, at length individually about this, because so much of it depends on their expectations and preferences. The two biggest factors related to work or being back in your normal social circles are swelling and bruising. Mm -hmm. And in all honesty, there's a considerable amount of variability from person to person and how extensive those may be. So on the short end, I have patients that by 10 days to two weeks really look pretty good and have minimal bruising and what they have is uh, easily manageable uh, with makeup. Uh, I have other patients who might be more in the two-and-a-half to three-week time frame for resolution of that uh, initial swelling and bruising.
0: But that would be the the factor that most folks take into consideration as to whether they're ready to go back to work, more so than discomfort, that kind of thing. It's more, I feel like I look like I... Yes, yes. I very
1: very confidently tell my patients that by the time they get to that 10-day or so time point, they're going to feel okay. Uh, The issue is whether they're comfortable with how they look because of the expected swelling and bruising. And, you know, there's quite a bit of difference from person to person in how they feel about that. I have plenty of patients who are perfectly comfortable going out with a substantial amount of bruising left and and others who don't want to be seen until it's all gone. Mm -hmm. So these are all discussions that, that we have as part of the consultation process.
0: So tell me a little bit about the consultation process. Am I, you know, I guess do people tend to have kind of an idea when they're coming in of what they're looking for or are they just kind of coming to you and then they look for suggestions, you know, this is what I'm, you know, this is my lot. This is what I have and and I would like to improve upon it. And then you can make recommendations whether you think surgery and some of the surgical options that you have would be the best approach. Because like I said, you know, when I was reading on the website, I noticed uh, there's numerous non-surgical ways. I was surprised by the, platelet-rich uh, plasma. I was like, wow, it's got all kinds of uses. So, uh, you know, what is that like in terms of your, your consult with a patient? Do they typically have kind of an idea, I'm coming in and this is what I'm looking for, or do you kind of nudge them one way or another based on what you're, what you're seeing and what they're looking for? Yeah, that's a really
1: interesting question. I think it hits to the core of a lot of what we do as ascetic physicians uh, to be effective with our patients, and that is that everybody is an individual. Mm-hmm. There's not a, an answer or a set of answers that works for patients as a whole. So um, starting with that thought, uh, people come in to see me all along the continuum of what you've described. From the one end where uh, they, they say, you know what, I'm not happy with how I look, what do we need to do, doctor? To other people who may come in with a pretty specific idea of I don't like this specific thing and this is how I want it fixed. So I see my role as taking that information initially from the patient and then helping to guide them toward the procedure or set of procedures which best fits with their desired outcomes. And that discussion carries us through not just what the possibilities of each procedure or treatment technique may be, but what the degree of result for each of those would, uh, would be expected to be for them as an individual. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I routinely uh, routinely schedule consultation appointments, initial consultation appointments for an hour because it uh, it takes that much time to do a good job of really understanding what each patient wants, reviewing their photographs with them talking about the available options and really uh, deciding what uh, what's going to work best for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about some of the non-surgical options that you have that, that, are, that are kind of new and exciting as, and, and yeah. offer some cool outcomes?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, one of the uh, things that we've been very excited about over the last two and a half years or so is uh, using microfocused ultrasound uh, as a technique for uh, tissue tightening. Um, it actually is the first and uh, only procedure that has an FDA indication for lift uh, for the brow and for the neck that is non-surgical. Um, so the concept is that you can deliver highly focused ultrasound energy to the supportive tissues of the face, and that promotes a initial um, collagen contraction, and it also stimulates formation of new collagen, which is where the tightening effect comes Mm -hmm. from. So essentially, it is a way of repositioning and improving facial contours without physically moving the supportive tissue as I would do in a facelift. Mm -hmm. The It's not, again, as we alluded to earlier, it's not expected to produce an equivalent outcome to a surgical procedure, but it does make a meaningful difference in facial contour and literally with no downtime.
0: Now, how persistent is the result that you get when you're using that sort of a technique? Does it last? I mean, obviously, yeah. if you're depositing new collagen, that's <clears> that's going to stay there, but uh, the contraction that you talked about that results from from that from your existing collagen, does that... Persist once you know for a period of time.
1: Or? Yeah, yes, it does actually, and that's a, that was one of the big questions about this technique when uh, when it when it first came out. Um, I find uh, that the result that I get from using microfocused ultrasound, just like a facelift result, the actual changes you make don't go away. Now. The patient's going to continue to age, right? So the way I like to explain it to people, and I think this is this is the closest to what actually happens, is you get the appearance of some amount of improvement from these procedures. And in my mind, I think with Ulthera, which is the trade name of the microfocused ultrasound procedure, you get uh, in the neighborhood of two to three years apparent improvement. So assuming that a patient then doesn't make any drastic lifestyle changes, we expect them, their facial aging to progress at roughly the same rate. So two to three years later, I expect them to be about back at their baseline. Mm -hmm. Now we can compare that to a facelift where on average, I think people get the appearance of eight to 10 years worth of improvement. Again, that doesn't undo but as they continue down the line, right, they're going to continue right. to age, and eight or ten years later, we're going to be about back at baseline. So I, I think that's the reality of what happens, and I think when explained in that way, patients really understand it well and uh, and can imagine how it relates to them.
0: Uh, that's great. Now, one of the things that I saw on the website was called cool sculpting. Yeah. Tell me a little, a little bit about what cool sculpting does for me.
1: Okay. Uh, cool sculpting is uh, another uh, quite novel and quite exciting uh, technique for uh, subcutaneous fat reduction. Uh, again, done non surgically, in fact, completely non invasively. Um, cool sculpting is based on a uh, technology called cryolipolysis. Um, basically, we're freezing fat. So, here's the way it works it, it uh, turns out that fat cells are significantly more sensitive to cold than skin cells are. So this is where the opportunity comes in. If you create a device that can cool the fat cells sufficiently to kill them, Mm But not harm the skin cells, so that we don't create a surface wound. Then you can selectively get rid of isolated
0: areas. Okay, fact, you need to wrap me up in one, whatever that thing is, so I can just not have to worry about what I eat. So, well,
1: <laughs> well actually, you bring up another interesting point that is something novel we've been doing with uh, with sculpting Is it's been well recognized for many years that with any fat reduction technique, be it surgical or non-surgical, the number one reason for failure over the long term is... The patient reverting to eating and exercise habits oh, that so they we have had the homework previously. that we have to do. That's the so, way it
0: always is. I always have to do something. I can't just go to the doctor and say fix me, and now right. I'm fixed, and now I can keep on with what I was doing. That's
1: yes, uh, yeah, and but we found that to be incredibly important. So actually, as part of our cool sculpting program, we have rolled in a nutrition support piece. That's great. Um, we also do uh, we also do some total body analysis. Um, for all of our cool sculpting patients, both before and after, which we have found really helps them with uh, homing in on what they need to do.
0: And on, you know, I, I find this a, a fascinating concept. I'm going to have to read a lot more about this. But I mean, was it found by accident? How did they discover that this is yeah. the case and that we could yeah. apply it this way?
1: Yeah. The uh, the thought came uh, came about some uh, ten or twelve years ago. It was actually a uh, group at uh, Mass General Hospital um, that noticed that. Kids, um, when uh, post tonsillectomy, um, after having a fairly steady diet of popsicles for several days, would have uh, would have some loss of cheek fat, and it occurred to the observant folks there that there might be an association here between the cold and the loss of the fat cells. Um, That's what provoked the initial research, um, and uh, it was indeed confirmed that cryolipolysis happens. Um, From there, it was a matter of developing equipment that could effectively target and uh, you know, protect the normal tissue that you wanted to protect, but target the fat cells that you wanted to target.
0: So now is the procedure done in somewhat similar fashion to what you described with your your ultrasound treatment where it's a handheld device of some kind? How is it how is it actually?
1: Yeah, yeah, these done? are a little bit these are a little bit different in that the device itself um, is fixated on the location that you're treating. Uh, by vacuum. So there's, a, uh, there's a, a segment of the treatment head that tissue is actually drawn up into, and then the cold is applied from there. So nobody has to sit with you and, and move the treatment head around. You don't have to do anything. In fact, uh, the majority of our patients during the cool sculpting treatment are reading or watching television or working on their computer mm-hmm. or, uh, or, or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, comfort levels are, are, are fine, and, um, you know, really other than the time that it takes to uh, perform the treatment, there's uh, really minimal minimal invasiveness. That's really
0: amazing. I know you were saying that the, the, the treatment, the, the, the cool temperature f- that's administered by the device mm-hmm. actually causes fat cell death. Is that correct? That, that this, the cell itself will die, or does it just shrink? no it actually
1: kills the fat cells so so yeah um the objectively the numbers are about a 30 percent reduction in uh, subcutaneous fat cells per cycle
0: that's uh, that's it's very amazing i had no idea that such a thing was possible and i think that's really exciting to to learn about that um why is it an important when you you know because i i noticed in the uh in in the your non-surgical techniques, obviously Botox is being one of those Mm -hmm. that we can use for aesthetic purposes. And I know that, you know, a variety of professionals, not just plastic surgeons like yourself, healthcare professionals of a variety of types are actually offering injections Mm -hmm. like Botox Mm -hmm. and similar things. I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's some risks involved with that. So tell me a little bit about why I need to be coming to you for that type of care. Yeah. Well,
1: I think the most important thing here is just recognizing that uh, despite the ubiquitous nature of these products being on the market, that there really is quite a bit of uh, technique and artistry and understanding of facial anatomy that comes into play in getting the best results from, uh, from all of those products. Now, the good news is that these things are incredibly safe. We have now used them for a very long period of time, and by this I mean uh, essentially all the injectables, the fillers, the neurotoxins, um, all of those uh, we 've used them for long enough to feel very comfortable that there aren't going to be any that there aren't going to be major adverse effects but I think that there is a significant difference between uh, experienced, uh, well-trained providers and those who are less experienced as far as the uh, degree of result that one obtains and, uh, and and really understanding the architecture and the anatomy of the face and what changes you want to make aesthetically to get the best outcome for that individual patient.
0: Well, I... I, I can totally see why you know it would make sense to have somebody that such as yourself, that this is all you focus on is the aesthetic outcome only. You're only focused on this type of procedure. So I, I would imagine that I could probably have a greater degree of confidence that I'm not going to have trouble, um, you know, and that my, you know, aesthetic result is going to be, you know, one that uh, that I'm pleased yeah. with, particularly when it comes to, because these types of procedures are not necessarily inexpensive. And if you're going to invest in your uh, aesthetic appearance like that, I'm sure that you want to make sure that, uh, when you do go down that road, that you link up with somebody that's going to do it right, just because you know, just because someone offers it doesn't mean that uh, it's the best idea to assume that they're highly skilled and they do a high volume of them, so that they're you know yeah. their results are good from one to the next.
1: Absolutely, absolutely correct, and uh, you are correct. These are significant investments for our patients, and so I think uh, doing your research and making sure that you're getting the most for uh, for that investment um, is, uh, is the right way to, to treat oneself.
0: Well, tell me, you know, what? how did you end up going down the road and getting into, you know, this particular path? You're a person. People like to know the doctor that they're going to. So, I mean, how did you end up settling into, you know, head and neck surgery and then ultimately going beyond that to, you know, do your, your aesthetic plastic surgery?
1: Sure. Well, um, I uh, uh, have always been interested in aesthetics and arts. And uh, from the time that I was in college, I actually did a bit of uh, college radio uh, my myself, back in the day, um, but uh, as I entered medicine, um, that I, I suppose I would have to say it was always in the back of my mind: is Is there a way that I can meld this desire to do something creative along uh, along with medicine? Um, additionally, I was fortunate in the course of my training to be exposed to aesthetic plastic surgery, um, as early on as at the, uh, at the medical student level. You know, some of this is just luck. I happened to be able to, to rotate with the plastic surgery service as a medical student. Um, I was, uh, also able to rotate with the, uh, head and neck service and do some, uh, facial plastic surgery with them. Um, so, that further solidified my uh, desire to uh, to pursue that route. And then when the time came that I actually got to make choices about what residency programs to look at and what further training to look at, uh, I had a, a, a good basis to decide that this is something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm.
0: So mm-hmm. what, what gives you the greatest deal of satisfaction about what you do?
1: You know, I think um, that... Being able to see my patients um, feel more confident, have better self-esteem, sometimes it's very subtle, sometimes it's just a complete blossoming of a personality. But um, in in all of those cases, I find that very satisfying and, and really feel like I'm I'm helping to improve people's lives overall and in a bigger fashion than even what I'm doing for them specifically as a a medical doctor.
0: I think that that's, you know, a very true statement from the perspective of I think we've all seen it happen to different people. Maybe someone um, finally uh, undergoes the effort to lose a significant amount of weight, for example. And now, now that they begin to, you know, look better, they like more of what they see in the mirror, you begin to see them as you talk about, blossom into themselves so much that they begin to take more um, healthful choices from what they eat to their fitness levels. I, I it, It's strange to think that uh, an aesthetic procedure like that could have an impact on someone's overall health state, but I think that that's potentially true, that uh, if I really like... You know my result. I've gone to invest in in this type of care and and gone through uh, an aesthetic procedure. Some f- folks might just dismiss it as pure vanity, but I I think that having a good self image is is a key component to how well you take care of yourself. If you don't feel like you look very good, you don't like how you look. You're probably less selective about various choices that you make about your overall health state. So I think that it can probably have an overarching impact on someone's overall fitness and and health state.
1: Yes, and we find that to be true over and over and over again. Um, in fact, one of the things that we do in our practice is to actively encourage that transformation and we we emphasize to our patients how important it is to uh, pursue the more healthful lifestyle behaviors that often get initiated after they 've uh, done some of these procedures so yeah that that too is uh, another aspect of why what we do is, uh, is so satisfying because we see people improve their lives not just from this one procedure but in multiple ways. And it very, very often we do see this kind of progressive upward spiral which is an awful, awfully nice thing to see in medicine that's
0: awesome and I I know that uh, I'm always amazed at how fast our time goes so before we go um, as I mentioned earlier I know that there's uh, several places that you're on the web uh, mm-hmm. social media and various sites so uh, I've already linked up through our Top Docs uh, radio uh, social media but uh, share with the audience where they can find you because obviously your website's one it's got some right. excellent information so talk about where you are on the web
1: so uh, bay or uh, BeattyMD.com. And that's B E A T Y. Uh On uh, Twitter, it's Dr. Mark Beatty. Um, and uh, that is that uh, would serve as a central site to uh, get into any of our uh, any of our communications.
0: Certainly, and if folks do get to your, your webpage, there's uh, easy links there that you can link up with Dr. Beatty on all of his social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Google+, all that. And we're already tied in through our Top Docs social media so that uh, if you're following us, you can certainly get to Dr. Beatty's information that way. You know, I mentioned today that I had looked at the Facebook page and there's some good information there blog information on the website and lots of frequently asked questions so uh, certainly hit them up for uh, all your questions to get uh, great information there. Uh, Link up with the Top Docs uh, social media sites we're on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX as well as Facebook.com slash Top Docs on BRX if you're a patient out there dealing with a wound that won't heal or maybe one of your loved ones is somebody that's dealing with some radiation injuries in the past and you need to link up with one of our wound physicians you can do that at the Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia website that's HBOMDGA.com. And then, of course, we're on Twitter and Facebook at HBOMDGA. Uh, we're tied in with all of our guests there so we can continue to share great information as they come out uh, from, from the folks who join us on the show. Thank you all very much for taking time to uh, tune in and make us a part of your day-to-day. Uh, the physicians that come on our show, I'm always impressed by the fact that they're willing to make time to come on and share this great information with folks because they have busy offices that they have to uh, run. So uh, thank you for taking time to be here today, Dr. Beatty. I want to say uh, uh, I hope to have you back sometime. Looks like there's probably plenty of things we can talk about over time, so uh, maybe we can hook up with you again another time. Would love to. Well, folks, tune in with us uh, next Tuesday, same time, same place, and we'll uh, see you then. Looking forward to it.